But where are you really from? A podcast about the Asian American struggle. Hi, I'm Jesse Lin, and I'm Angela Lin, and welcome back to But Where Are You Really From? Yes, this week we're taking a topic detour, and we are talking about the funnest thing of them all—drugs. What? Woohoo! <laughs> So I think that this is quite an interesting topic for us to discuss because drugs have always been very taboo within mm-hmm. Asian culture, and also just in our conversations with our parents growing up, it was always a very hard line in the sand. Don't do drugs; like you'll end up in a bad place and bring shame upon the family and all mm-hmm. that. And I don't know if you ever had these experiences, but whenever my parents brought up stuff like that, they always had like anecdotes to back. It up, so they would be like so and so's cousin's wife drank <laughs> a lot, and now they're divorced, and she can't see their children anymore, or something like that. Yes. So always like so- five steps removed. Yeah, exactly. So they had <laughs> so many of those examples, and so it was like very clear that drugs were bad, even though for the most part, when we were growing up, what fell into the category of drugs was really basically like drinking smoking and marijuana Mm -hmm. and there was like not even anything else ever i don't think our parents even know necessarily any of the other (laughs) yeah for sure it doesn't uh like i don't think those things even exist for them no and of course we both grew up in a very well-to-do neighborhood so i'm sure nationally there was a lot of dare what's dare stand for again drugs drugs abuse drugs abuse (laughs) Oh shit, I don't remember. Well, very clearly we... Something, something. (laughs) There's like something about harm reduction. Drug abuse, reduce... Reduction education? Yeah, that sounds right. We did it. So, (laughs) So obviously we went through a lot of those courses in... I think elementary and probably middle school as well. And maybe even some of high school. And I remember they would bring like a police officer in and the police officer would be like, here are the sentences for people who are caught with Mm. these kinds of substances. And they Mm. would basically just try to like scare you away from doing them. Mm -hmm. So that was like an added thing in the pile where you were like, no, don't do drugs. Like it's scary and you can get arrested. And die. Die, yeah. (laughs) So let's get into a high-level overview of the types of drugs that we're going to be covering in today's episode. Party, party. Such a fun topic. And so we're not going to go into like the science of it all, but we did want to talk about them in terms of like what the core effect is and kind of like what purpose people use them for. So the four key drugs that we're including in today's episode are alcohol, marijuana, MDMA, and broadly psychedelics. So starting with alcohol, I think the main reason people get drunk is to just kind of like loosen up, get out of your head, like giving you courage, honestly, to like do things you've always wanted to do. But it is dissociative because you're kind of trying to like distance yourself from fears, your inhibitions, you're trying to kind of like create this space so that you're this somewhat alternate version of you. Then with marijuana, it's kind of like similar but opposite. So I would still say marijuana is 
dissociative in that you're trying to relax to get out of your head to have fun generally but it's very like it's a relaxant then mdma mdma is known as kind of like the happy drug right like it's just this very like connecting type of drug and mdma is used both recreationally and it's also used for therapeutic purposes to like be more introspective and use it to help you kind of work through some of your issues if you turn inward which then leads to similarly psychedelics. So this is a whole different sphere. Psychedelics are a broad category of drugs that the connecting factor is that all these drugs have slash trigger DMT, which is the chemical that makes your brain hallucinate. So when you're on psychedelics, you can visually see things that like either aren't there or like are a slightly altered version of reality. So psychedelics, definitely a lot of people take it recreationally. Uh, and also psychedelics are certainly very much used now for therapeutic uses. It's getting a second wave now in terms of like acceptability and the, the benefits that can come from using guided therapy sessions with psychedelics. I think that in general, my experience along with everyone else's experience is the same where alcohol is basically like the first thing that you're introduced to because A, it is legal and B, it's pretty easy to get even if you're underage. There's like less taboo around it. It's legal. So even though we're under 21 and we're obtaining it illegally, it's not as bad as if you were getting like marijuana, which is like completely illegal. You have alcohol basically like everywhere you go. But I think that it also has some of the worst backlashes just because I think of the setting that you're typically using it in is you're with a lot of people. Yeah. It could be a personal setting, but it could also be a professional setting. And both those settings are situations where if you're a little too loose, that could be very, very bad. <laughs> I feel like some of my biggest mistakes in my early to mid 20s <laughs> were on alcohol. The dumb shit that happens when you black out. That's what I mean by dissociative. It's like you literally are like out of your body, out of your mind, with, yeah. especially when you're at the point of blackout. Yeah. Also a little misleading because people always say like, oh, alcohol lowers your inhibition. So they're like, it's like your real self coming out. But like <laughs> when you're at that level, you've lost so much of yourself that yes. it's not your real self anymore. I will say, I don't want to like demonize alcohol completely. It's not like you and I don't drink alcohol. Yeah. We certainly do. Yeah. But I feel like I, especially as I've gotten older, I've come to appreciate the use of alcohol more. And like, um, I open up a can of beer after work when mm -hmm. I, you know, to like de-stress from the day, but like one is enough. There's a certain level of mandatoryness to it. Yes. If you think about like company happy hours, yes. networking events, mm -hmm. there's almost always alcohol involved in that. People might say that they respect your choice not to drink, but there definitely is some like low key pressure from people being like, hey, how come you're not like being fun? Alcohol is that one thing that the peer pressure started when we were like 13 mm -hmm. and has will continue for the rest of your life because mm -hmm. everyone's kind of constantly judging you as to why you're not drinking when mm -hmm. it's in a setting that everyone else is drinking. Is drinking, yeah. 
I think the next level down is marijuana. Everyone who stays abroad takes that like mandatory trip to Amsterdam. But really for the longest time, like I never felt the effects of it because I think I was really cautious in like how much I was taking. And then after a while, I was finally just like, you know what, I'm just gonna try it because I've done it these few other times and like nothing has happened for me. So I feel pretty safe in doing more. And eventually like going through that made me land on my preferred way of doing it, which was edibles. My foray into marijuana was similar. My first time doing it was in Amsterdam because if not here, then where? Mm-hmm. So I I did a brownie and it was out of this world, like got me so high beyond belief that I was like, fuck this. I never want to get high again. It was like, I had no idea where I was. It was the kind where like, if I sat in a chair, I started like sinking into mm-hmm. it and living in and mm-hmm. like had no idea humans were around me until they talked <laughs> loud enough that I focused on them. It was too much. From then I kind of like swore off marijuana for a very long time, like Mm. several years until it got legalized in California. I went from Amsterdam, then swearing it off for many years, then just doing like gummy slash mints. After I did psychedelics, I just, uh, it's not the same anymore because psychedelics Mm. are super like about introspection. And so after being in that kind of headspace, doing marijuana that's totally about like dissociating and going out of your head. I was like, I don't like this. The way that I see the the line in the sand of like the drugs that we listed earlier, so alcohol, marijuana, MDMA, and psychedelics, is that Mm. only alcohol is addictive. Mm. I think people can debate me on the marijuana piece, but theoretically, I don't think marijuana in and of itself is addictive. I think people can get addicted to that state of being really relaxed and dissociated from yourself and your issues, but not like your body is craving the marijuana and like if you don't have it you're gonna like need another hit in the next five minutes that is like actual addiction and alcohol is addictive so we're sailing out of the light party drugs and we're going (laughs) into the full party drugs we're gonna be talking about mdma next or called molly and or called ecstasy i actually was introduced to this pretty recently when I went to like this world pride party with a bunch of friends and it was like face meltingly awesome. I (laughs) don't remember much of the night. Like I wasn't blacked out. It was just like my brain was not recording anything that was happening. You just feel like super happy. Everyone you interact with you're like I'm immediately like in love with you like I've known you like a million (laughs) years and you're my soulmate it was just such a very transformational experience because you're just so happy that you're like I can't believe that I can get to that level of happiness in my life and for me it doesn't diminish like your current state it's just kind of like you understand that you can't always be that happy in your life like it's not possible but there are moments where you can get there do you feel like that state feels really genuine to you even when you're off it? Well, it depends, I think, on a few things. I mean, the first thing is like, obviously, afterwards, I thought about what I was feeling. And most of it is powered by the drugs, right? Like the people who I went and partied with that night, I literally just met even now, like when I think about that night, and those people, I there's like a tug at your heartstring. The other thing that I think is super important with like all of these things is your intention going into whatever you're doing with the substance. So for me, I had two very two clear intentions as to what I wanted to do. 
number one, I wanted to be able to stay up all night because this is like a party that goes from like 12 to six. I was like, there's no way that I can be alive without some help. And number two, I just wanted to dance my ass off. Combining those two things, it was like perfect. It was the like decision to try this quote unquote more hardcore drug for the first mm-hmm. time driven by something else because we were talking about what was the thing that got us over this hump of like yeah. Asian parents bringing us up to think all drugs were like absolutely evil. Mostly pragmatism and curiosity. The people I was going with, I was like, I'm pretty comfortable that they would not be steering me wrong or abandon me. You trusted during... them. Yeah, yeah, I trusted them. And then the thing was, I just want to try it. Like I had like heard things about it and obviously done my research before and like asked people like how their own experiences were with it. But I was just really curious about what it would feel like and everything kind of just aligned. I had the place to be. I had the people to be with. I knew what exactly I wanted out of the experience and the substance was available. I think trust is like a really big factor in terms mm-hmm. of like why people decide to go over the the hump of like taboo or, or skepticism mm-hmm. um, prior to trying a more hardcore drug. For me, it was the same way. And I think this is where Jesse and I will start like diverging a bit in our experiences <laughs> because for the rest of these drugs, for me, it was therapeutic. So mm-hmm. in our previous episodes, we talked about mental health. I talked about my therapist and actually this therapist that I was going to was a therapist that specialized in psychedelics. I first went to see her just for like regular talk therapy for several months. So like no drugs at all involved just to like build up our relationship and build up that trust. I read this book called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan, which covers He covers MDMA, but he also covers all the psychedelics. I found this book super compelling because it was really scientific the way that he wrote it. So like Mm -hmm. when I first started seeing this therapist, she was like, from the spectrum of woo woo to science, where are you? And I was like, that's a really funny way to put it. But for me, I think I'm somewhere slightly above in the middle. So like... Mm -hmm. I'm more science-based of like, I need like the data to back it up. I need rationale that makes sense for why I should take a risk. But Mm -hmm. you and I were raised Taoist. There was like certain, you know, like spiritual elements Mm -hmm. that make like not totally just like science is is it and there's nothing else out there in the world. So when I read this book, I was like, this is perfect because it's science-based. So Michael Pollan is a New York Times best-selling author, but he's a specialist in plants. So he's written a bunch Mm. of books just on like regular plants. And then he wanted to investigate psychedelic plants and, and other psychedelics. And so the first half of the book is all just research. So he talked about like the history behind, for example, like LSD, the benefits that first were discovered around it, how it got like banned later and, and all these things. So just like kind of laying out like, what are the facts behind these drugs? And then the second half of the book was super compelling because it basically was like every chapter he did a different drug and he was someone who like never did any drugs. So it was Mm. like very easy to put myself in his shoes. So I think MDMA was the first one that he did as well. And Mm. he basically wrote it like first person account, like this is what happened. This is what I saw. This is my experience. And so because I was like bought in by his first half research and then felt like I was along for the ride of his Mm -hmm. experience, 
experiences. I was like, this seems logical. And like, he seems to have gotten really strong benefits from doing this. So like, I'm open. But yeah, so MDMA, I took it as my first therapeutic drug. And it's still my favorite trip I've ever had, honestly. Hey. And it's for similar reasons. Like, even though you yeah. and I did it for different reasons, like recreational versus therapeutic. It has the same effect in terms of like making you feel really loved and like connected Mm. to everything and everyone. For me, it was really interesting because when you do drugs for therapeutic settings, you turn totally inward. So what that means Mm. is like you're lying down for the whole session and you have an eye mask on. So you're like not focused Mm. on the like outer stimuli of like what's happening in the room. You're focused really on you. You do see things similar to like in a dream. Like when you dream at night, you see things that like feel really real to you, but there's always kind of that like fuzzy haze over things where you like, no, this is not like reality. Mm -hmm. For me, I like had these beautiful visions and it was very spiritual and I worked through a lot of shit, especially with Mm -hmm. like my family relationships and things like that. And I felt this like really deep, unconditional love for my Mm -hmm. family that I like had never felt or like expressed before. And for me, Mm -hmm. feeling that was like uncovering the truth so it didn't feel like it was because of the drugs it was like the drugs helped me get there to realize like that was always there there was no way to lie what you feel is like is there and it's gonna come out i think they are similar experiences because you uncovered your love for your family and i uncovered that i could find more happiness in my Mm. life than what i had just to bring the woo woo in here for a second one of the like main insights that everyone says when they do psychedelics like biggest insight is that we are all connected (laughs) like every everyone and everything is connected and it's a very woo woo concept but i feel like even you doing mdma for party use you felt that like that's why you felt so connected with those random people it was like yeah yeah you don't know those people but like at the core as humans we're all we're all connected right i mean you just you feel the wave of energy from other people it was a very connective experience like super empathic and how do you feel now that you're like a few months down the line from that session in terms of the feelings that you've uncovered when you do drugs for like introspective use you're gonna come up with like a lot of big insights and discoveries about your life and like the people in them and stuff that are very true but like Mm. when you're on these drugs you have no inhibition in terms of seeing the truth and when you're in your normal life you have like all these layers of additional things that are kind of like hiding Mm -hmm. the truth so like you have insecurity you have like you're holding grudges from past shit that's happened and all that's like kind of covering up what was underneath I still feel like those insights were very true and like the love I felt was very true Mm -hmm. but I kind of constantly have to remind myself to feel that because there's so much other shit that's easy to pile on in normal life so now we're like truly diverging because we have you and I have respectively like different drugs that we have tried Mm -hmm. um, that the other hasn't so Mm -hmm. I want to hear more about your last drug the last real like hard drug that I've used is ketamine basically ketamine is also a disassociative but it's much more effective let's say than alcohol or marijuana you feel like this complete level of emotional disassociation at the peak of it that is like so weird like I've never felt this way in my life before so the first time I did it was with a friend so it was like not a therapeutic setting but it was a very like tranquil safe like at home in my apartment setting when I tried it I was talking to my friend about like all of basically the collapse of my personal life over the Mm -hmm. last like 
month or two. And normally when you talk about that stuff, like you get upset, right? You can Mm -hmm. feel it building in you. And then usually that, like for me, it comes out in the form of like me just bawling. And while I was on it, I could still feel it, but it felt kind of like my emotions were out of my body and I was viewing them like an outsider. So I could feel this deep well of sadness and unhappiness and like despair, like all the stuff that I've been feeling. But I was like, no, thank you. I'm good. <laughs> like, that's how I that's how I felt about it, because I could like pull it to the side. And mm-hmm. if being able to do that helped frame it differently, like the emotions don't steer me, like they're just this mm-hmm. part of me that I can like dive into or dip into when I want to, but like I don't have to. I think it was actually very helpful because I was able to like split the emotional part of it away. I was able to talk a lot more about things that were on my mind. It made it so it was like okay for me to go to those areas. And it was helpful because it was stuff that I had to get off my chest at some point. That's amazing. Do you feel like the impact of that experience was longer lasting than that session? I got stuff off my chest that I was basically like holding there for a Mm -hmm. really long time. And just by saying it out loud made it easier for me to approach those topics later on. And obviously, like during this time, I was also in therapy and like journaling. So I was doing a lot of introspection in general. So combining that with those behaviors made it easier for me to like analyze what I was feeling and process it more effectively. This one is so interesting to me because even though you called it dissociative and it it is because you're literally able to remove your emotions from your Mm -hmm. body as you're saying, but I feel like it's at the same time super introspective, right? Like because even though you didn't do it with a therapist, you worked through a lot of shit and you were Mm -hmm. only able to do that because you were able to dissociate from the emotions. The prescription version of it is used for treatment-resistant depression, I think for very much the same reason, because it allows you to square yourself in a sense and better get a a new perspective on on what you're feeling. Yeah, ketamine is used a lot with PTSD patients now um, Mm. in therapeutic settings exactly for this reason, because they've gone through a lot of shit that they need to process and it's normally too hard or it's like gets blocked out. But this Mm. helps them do that in a healthy way. It's so interesting. I love that like we have so many overlapping ways that we talk about these drugs like because you keep talking about what is your intent with this drug, right? And like when you do psychedelics or MDMA in a therapeutic setting, there are like a number of things that you have to prepare ahead of time. And one of those things is literally working this thing through called intentions. Like, what are your intentions <laughs> for the session? Like, what are you trying to get out of it? What issues yeah. are you trying to work through? And then the other stuff is like very related to everything we've already talked about, which is like people always talk about set and setting. Mm-hmm. So set Absolutely. being your mindset, like where are you when you're going into that drug? Because if you're like fucked up, if you're like super depressed, if you're whatever, like the rest of your trip is going to be that way versus like yeah. if you go into it open-minded and positively, that's also going to affect it. And then setting where physically are you so like for you with molly right like it's super fun and like a party setting with people you trust that's Mm -hmm. a really like purposefully chosen setting for you versus like i don't know if you're like in a sketchy part of town you randomly pop molly like i don't think you'd be like (laughs) having a super fun time even though it's like a happiness inducing drug when people talk about having bad trips on psychedelics it's often because you're either in the wrong mindset Or you're in like a bad setting physically that is like going to cause you to have bad thoughts and then spiral 
you out of control. So tell us more about your experiences with psychedelics. Yeah, I'm gonna just group them together. Yeah, (laughs) no. So I've tried mushrooms, ayahuasca, and San Pedro. So the mushrooms I did with the same therapist that I've I did the MDMA with, but the ayahuasca San Pedro I did in Peru at the sanctuary that like is largely there to help people do ayahuasca retreats. My experience with psychedelics has been really interesting. When you do it for therapeutic settings, all of these things have, we're going deep into woo-woo land now, but like they all have like a spirit attached to it. Part of the thing with psychedelics is that a big reason people have bad trips is because you're trying to control the journey that you're going through and so the like number one thing with psychedelics is that you have to just let go that spirit that's guiding that drug knows what's best for you and what you are best going to tackle on this journey so even though you had those intentions of like i want to work through my fear of xyz or like my bad relationship or whatever it may be like that's nice but like there's a chance that you're not going to cover any of those issues on your journey because maybe the drug knows that like you have this really deep trauma in your childhood that you've been bearing for your whole life that you need to address that first so it'll take you there so like the mushrooms are often spoken about as these tiny little men or little (laughs) gnomes or whatever and like sometimes people actually see like these little gnomes or like little mushroom men running around supposedly there are these spirits that have been out in the forest for like all of time basically and they're like mischievous that that plays into like your experience with them and ayahuasca they call ayahuasca her like they refer to it like a person and they call mm-hmm. her like mother or or grandmother. Ayahuasca is basically a vine that's grown in the Amazon and when mixed with other plants activates the DMT and that mm-hmm. tea that is made from these herbs is what you're drinking. That is what people call ayahuasca. When you're high on ayahuasca, it is this mother figure that is like guiding you through and some people see her uh, in their visions and stuff. So like there's this like spirit behind all these drugs because they all come from nature and they're Mm -hmm. not addictive. And honestly, actually, after you do a psychedelic trip, it's like such a deep experience because you're working through all the shit that's gone on in your life. You're crying, you're like processing the whole time. It's like real deep therapy. At the end of it, you're just like, so exhausted there's no way you're like hit me up with another one of those. <laughs> like it's not addictive at all like anyone who's done psychedelics for therapy knows that you're like fuck i need five years before i want to do another one of those mm-hmm. I think we wanted to take a moment and really talk about like why most of these things are banned. Generally, everyone agrees that that has been due to the fact that we're like in this ongoing war on drugs to try and limit access to these substances and also penalize people who try to access these substances. Most people have come to the consensus that the war on drugs, this is generally a failure. It hasn't really stopped the supply chain of drugs. I think part of why the war on drugs is a failure is that they treat marijuana, for example, the same as like heroin, really bad for you shit that is like addictive and ruining people's lives. Mm -hmm. Because once you take one hit, like you can't get yourself out of it. Marijuana, you know, it's a natural fucking leaf that like (laughs) exists in nature and is now legal in many states. But like New York, for example, it's still 
illegal and like you could still go to jail for for possessing mm-hmm. right but like is that the same level of effort and like destruction to society as a heroin or opioids and like shit that like is really destroying people's lives that's a vicious cycle in a sense because like to prove that a drug has use and to move it out of a specific schedule you have to do research against it right now there are i think some trials mm-hmm. to study the effect of psilocybin and lsd mm-hmm. and mdma in therapeutic settings but for a long time it was very difficult to do that because it was like a catch-22 even if you wanted to prove that the substances were helpful you couldn't because they were so illegal that you can't get your hands on them i feel like the scheduling like how dangerous the drug is are not necessarily arbitrary but they haven't been revisited in a way that Mm -hmm. makes sense schedule two which is less restrictive and can be used for some prescription purposes include amphetamines (laughs) methamphetamines cocaine morphine oxycodone so like there's a lot of stuff on there that have been problems especially when we're talking about like prescription drug abuse yes that are it's like somehow unbalanced like you have all these things that are causing much more public harm on schedule two where people can access them in some legal settings versus schedule one where no one can access them at all for me i did i definitely didn't know until i read that michael pollan book the war on drugs started you know a long fucking time ago like in the Mm -hmm. 70s Mm -hmm. lsd was a big focus what's ironic about that is that ever since then people have looked at lsd as like this like crazy dangerous substance that like no one should take but actually when it like first was created it was proven through many clinical trials in therapeutic settings to like have huge breakthroughs and when the war on drugs was first waged they basically ordered that all of that evidence was destroyed and then it was placed into that schedule that you were talking about so there's so much irony in all of this because it's like you need the evidence to prove that there's benefit but you ordered all the evidence to be destroyed and therefore now all the other associated drugs that have the same types of benefits are fighting this uphill battle to like reprove what was already proven decades ago by the LSD research. Okay, so then talking about like the future of drugs and specifically these types of drugs that we talked about today in terms of how much acceptance it's going to gain in broader society and specifically in like Asian society, where it's like currently super frowned upon Mm because some of the especially the like Southeast Asian countries, you can go to jail for life or like anything jail. Yeah, or like, especially if you're dealing if you're trafficking drugs, you could face the death penalty. It's like really hard. So how much do we really think it's going to change in the near to long-term future? Okay, so my hope is for America and Asian Americans, that perception will change by legitimizing the uses of these substances in therapeutic settings. So the studies that are being conducted with the FDA on these substances, I think that's really where it starts, where science helps to legitimize these substances as treatment for some psychiatric problems. We all know that Asians love authority and they love authoritative (laughs) information. So I think that that will like trickle down. I definitely think the science of it all is going to change things in the future, but I'm pretty pessimistic about it. Like I think it's going to take a long time for Asian countries, even with the science backing it. And it's 
because ARP as a whole is not super like widely accepted within Asian cultures. So there's like a double barrier to get past for them um, in terms of like seeing the value of these types of drugs. So maybe sometime in the future, but I think it's going to be like whenever the US or Western cultures are like super open about it, it's going to be like 50 to 100 years past that, I think, for people to be be open to it it will definitely take time but i think that this is the right way to do it to make it more legitimate from a scientific standpoint we are now in our fortune cookie closing section and before we go to our sweet treat we want to as always invite our listeners to send in your personal stories about today's topic which is any experience you've had with controlled or or otherwise substances and whether that's been good or bad we want to hear it and also about kind of like why you decided to try those substances despite your asian upbringing we want to hear from you email us at tell us where you're from at gmail.com again the your is y-o-u-r-e awesome so as angela mentioned we're going to talk about our best experience slash memory that we have had on substances and i will kick it off i can't say that i've had a memory because it was not a memory <laughs> it's <was> an experience <laughs> but the very first time that i tried mdma was the top of the tops it was just like such a great time dance my ass off all night (laughs) as you mentioned it was just it was just good like you feel so connected to everyone that there's this like feeling of closeness that you have had before but not with so many people at the same time so that's what was so great about it you just like feeling so deeply rooted with other people I think we have a similar experience. So my best experience was also on MDMA, that first time I ever did a drug facilitated therapy session. So I will throw in two two key things I remember from that. So the first is like, as soon as it actually hit me, I was like, oh my God, this is like the most like you're saying, like this is like a different state of happiness that mm-hmm. I've never felt before. So I had my eye mask on and she was playing music. And it was like, I was melting into the music. Mm. Like I could see the the wavelengths of music, like dancing in front of my eyes. So and I like, at first I was like observing it, but then eventually my body like disappeared. And I was just like, I melted into those wavelengths until we were just like, I was the wavelength. And it was just like this beautiful feeling of like connectedness like you're saying and like totally out of body because I was like I am not just this body I'm like the spirit and I'm like this energy and I'm I'm connected to all the other energies so that was like one key thing I remember and then the other I'm gonna go super woo woo here which is like that whole experience was very spiritual for me and Mm. like I distinctly remember there was this like recurring theme that was happening throughout my experience where I was kind of like gliding through the planet and like sometimes I was this bird like a hawk or an eagle or whatever I was like soaring through across like rivers and oceans and forests and stuff and then sometimes it would pant like it wasn't me as the bird it was like this like bird kind of creature thing that I I knew was mother nature but it was like this kind of like mixture of different creatures but anyways I was like 
I was like being carried by mother nature to like across the planet to like show me all these beautiful things and like take me on this beautiful adventure. So, so beautiful. It was just like, you're connected to everything, everyone, all energy. Like it was amazing. Yeah. That sounds like such a great time. Well, if you guys really enjoyed listening to us talk about how much of a great time we had, we hope that you will like follow and subscribe us, please. Take some time, rate us on Apple Music. Let us know what you think about Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, excuse me. (laughs) Let us know how you think about the episode. And obviously, check us out again next week. There will be another episode for you then. Well, until next week. Zai Jin, bitches.